It is Sunday, March 22nd, 2020. My name's Anthony, and this is Time Lapse, the podcast where cars and watches are the focus, but coronavirus is the reality. Let's get into it. And we're back for part two of viral content. <laughs> I, I kind of like that. I think I'm going to name the, the episode viral content. Yeah, I'll allow it this one time. Oh, thank you. You're going to allow me this one? Yeah, thank you. Just, just it's like a our W. Buddy, our buddy Swain. Oh, yeah, just like our buddy Swain. Best name in the biz. Um, so uh, part one of, uh, of uh, the podcast here, Joe, we kind of covered what the disease was, uh, you know, kind of covered – the differences and how people are letting it affect their lives. And I guess, uh, and I guess exactly what, uh, what we're personally feeling, how it's affecting us personally and, and, uh, and all that jazz. Now I kind of want to talk about, uh, the more fun stuff. Let's talk about, uh, you know, how our hobbies, uh, have been affected and, and kind of what, you know, what we're, what we're seeing, uh, if we forget about, you know, why everything is shut down and just focus on what the shutdown means for the stuff we love. Uh, I think that'll be a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit more fun. Um, I'll start, uh, just because, uh, hopefully you can, you can bounce off my format here. Um, I want to first talk about watches really quick. Uh, right now I'm wearing my brew watch. If you can see that in the Skype cam there. Yeah, I see. It's a nice watch. I couldn't tell if what the brand is or any difference, yeah. but it oh. looks nice. I would, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, thank you. I wouldn't expect you to know the brand. They are a micro brand. Um, in fact, I'm wearing this today, uh, in support of, uh, uh, of my friend, John, uh, who in, who lives in New York. He's, uh, he's actually the, uh, Jonathan, he's actually the, uh, the founder of brew watches. Great guy. When I went to red bar, New York, I had the opportunity to meet him. I bought this watch off of him and, uh, and I spoke to him yesterday just briefly over Instagram DM. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, holding up in his uh in his home uh he's not really going outside and, and that's kind of what's happening in new york right now uh, i think they had a, a, a yeah, state they're, they're in lockdown yeah uh so you know uh uh shout out to john uh stay safe and, and to all the uh the new yorkers out there everyone in new york state uh just stay safe and uh, stay healthy uh so yeah i'm wearing the brew watch in support of him uh but as far as the watch industry, I mean, talk about uh, talk about bad timing. The watch industry, oh, Swiss, a, is that a pun or is it real? Like it's it actually. Oh is yeah, bad there we go. Bad time. It is bad timing because for the last few, for the last year, I'd say there's been a lot of speculation about the decline of the Swiss watch industry. Um, watching the like, there was a lot of talk about how the uh, these these uh, trade shows like Basel World. Uh, we're we're getting less and less support for manufacturers, um, especially even even the market share for wristwatches being taken up by smartwatches and consumer technology instead of the, uh, instead of luxury or, or affordable uh, mechanical timepieces or even quartz timepieces, basically things that that don't connect to a device. So there was already a little bit of fear, but you know, time and time again, even myself, uh, I prop up the industry on its, uh, on its laurels of, you know, oh, well, this is a, this is something that, that people will always be interested in because it connects us to the past. It connects us to the future. And, you know, there, there's just something intrinsically fascinating about a mechanical wristwatch or you know, a wristwatch that is not connected. However, things change when a global recession hits, uh, things change when, the the when industry sh- you know effectively shut down and also marketplaces change so 
I'll give you an example, probably one of the best examples out there. In the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a massive surge in 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 wristwatch culture uh in 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 reselling watches and and it had a few different um a few different uh contributors in my opinion number one you have uh the the creation of online marketplaces the ability for people to connect uh very instantly uh and sell things to one another um look and that just helped people who are reselling watches or, or watch enthusiasts to be able to to purchase these incredible pieces at a, a significant discount and wristwatches are relatively robust items it's like buying a used car you can you can you can trustfully purchase one with with the uh, idea that it will be a reliable item that helped a lot of people get into the hobby and the, it was something to do, right? It, something you sit at your computer and you search for deals all day and you you start a collection that way. Uh, that got a lot of people into the hobby. Uh, and, and I think that that coupled with the last 10 years of economic growth where people were celebrating, uh, you know, their wealth through the purchase of wristwatches, that those two things grew this, grew this entire industry. Uh, in a very quick and short period of time, I think. Uh, sorry, Joe, give me one sec. My dog is just crying. Give me one sec. Can someone let the dog out, please? Thank you. That's a, that's kind of an annoying thing to interrupt a point. No one probably could have, no one could have predicted, um, what this virus, the impact it would have on the industry. Uh, but people were predicting a bit of a, a bit of a slump because, a lot of uh, a lot of the people that I know who bought into Rolex, for example, pre-owned Rolex, uh, pre-owned Omega. A lot of the guys I spoke to picked up these uh, very, you know, these luxury timepieces that have seen huge increases in value. They picked them up around uh, the early teens, right? Recently after after the recession, um, even watches that had been five or six years old were relatively attainable because there wasn't much of a marketplace for them. That's changed. Uh, 2017, 2018, uh, and 2019 even, stainless steel Rolexes, for example, became untouchable. And the Rolex bubble uh, began to expand. We haven't seen that bubble burst yet, but there's a lot of uh, rumor that in the coming months, and definitely in the coming years, the bubble will either burst or it will it will kind of you know recede. It will shrink. Um, that the values will become more uh, more reasonable. And that's something that collectors like myself have been waiting for. Um, I think collectors all around the world have been waiting for. You're also going to see if, if there is a recession coming, I think you'll agree there's a looming recession uh, at hand. Yeah, there will be at least for uh, Q1 and Q2. Yeah. Uh, optimistically, well, it, it all depends on, on how containment happens with the virus. If mm-hmm. the best case scenario is that Strict measure measures are taken in the spring, and by late summer, the economy is going to pick up, uh, rebound very strongly. So we might see a, a strong finish at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Or the worst case scenario is this drags on for a year, and we are in serious, massive trouble if uh, hospitals become overflown and the healthcare system is crippled. Then I think not only just the economy, but I think our whole society is going to collapse. But um, if it's only a temporary for the next six months or so, I'm not sure if the the bubble will will burst. I think it might recede, if anything, for these luxury pieces. People are going to most likely hang on to them and wait and see. Yeah. That's what most investors, even in the stocks, are wanting to do. Um, it just it's just like a waiting game. Um, so I mean, I'll, a I'll difference offer... between 
because you mentioned the mm-hmm. 2009 recession, the difference between there now and then is that that was prolonged for about a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things, um, you know, whether it was real estate or, or luxury pieces like, um, like watches or, or other goods, even jewelry in general. Uh, yeah, that's when a lot of people were selling them off. And that, that was the boom of the, uh, cash for gold kind of yeah. phenomenon in those years. But we don't know yet. So, I mean, if I'm a Rolex or Omega buyer, I'd hold on to it right now and wait and see. So, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll offer a counterpoint there. Yes, there are going to be a lot of people who set themselves up for, uh, you know, for some kind of protection who are able to hold on to those pieces through this through this difficult time. But, um, you know, industry insiders have already commented that there's a lot of uh, of online retailers who purchased multiple and this is just a specific example multiple um stainless steel rolexes looking to flip them because they were they were the most um they were guaranteed right it's it's almost like a blue chip stock like it, this this watch is guaranteed to be worth more money because of limited supply and increased demand and all this other stuff people bought into those pieces but the problem is now they're left holding the bag it, now people aren't celebrating wealth they're they're either not buying or they're looking for insane deals uh, because they have uh, liquid cash to spend. So you have a lot of these uh, these online retailers who have bought into this as looking to, as a as an investment because it's the one uh, wristwatch you know guaranteed to go up. But now you're either seeing a flat line or you're going to start to see a diminish, uh, especially for a lot of the stainless steel pieces that that really don't have any pre- precious metal or. Um, or any real, where the, where the value was propped up solely on hype and solely on demand, um, you're going to see those come back down. So that's the kind of situation we're in when it comes to uh, when it comes to like wristwatches. In my opinion, I think that it's never like if you're if you've been a collector for the last few years, it's never been a, never been a better time to start like really going on the forums and seeing what people are offering. You, we can, we. I'll agree with you. There's going to be a lot of people holding on who are going to say, oh, "If I want to sell this watch, I'm not going to sell it now at a deficit." But there's going to be a lot of people who just don't have that option. Um, really sad news. Uh, a company uh, that I've followed for a long time, Cheapest NATO Straps, and, and this is a little bit of a plug for them. Um, I, I, I hope they're still up. Uh, yesterday, they made a post saying that they're in, they've fallen on rough times with uh, with what's happened. They're they're they might have to shut down. They're offering great discounts on straps for watches. Uh, and it's really sad that, you know, they're a great company. They've offered incredible deals already. And now they're giving straps away like, you know, $5 for, for, a for a really good, uh, material strap. Uh, it's really sad, but that's indicative of, of this industry. We have an industry that is oversaturated with retailers, Joe, and maybe you're not, you're not the biggest watch guy out there, but I'll tell you this, the the industry was propped up on hype and demand and that will all recede. All of that will recede because we're not in a time of economic growth. We're not in a time of economic celebration. We're in a time of savings. This industry is the same as any industry, any luxury industry. It, it, it ebbs and flows and we're in a big, you know, we're going to, we're going to see a little bit of a slump here. And uh, the people who weren't prepared for that are unfortunately going to suffer. So, 
a little bit morbid, but uh, again, never been a better time to uh, start collecting wristwatches, uh, especially because everyone's stuck at home, not doing anything. It's a great time to research and really find what you like. Uh, but I think we'll end it there for, for wristwatches. I don't know if there's any, really any other news other than uh, support your support your stores, support your um, brick-and-mortar boutiques. Like I don't know. You can't really go there. But at least online stores, support those people. Uh, if they have YouTube channels, enjoy their content. At least they can uh, keep a flow of income that way. And, uh, and we'll just ride this out. And again, if you're even the least bit interested in wristwatches, take this time off to really sink your teeth into some research and find out what uh, what watches you really like. And Joe, that's advice for you. If you know, you're, you've been looking at a piece, it's, you know, it might be the right time to, uh, to start investigating and researching and, and make a strike. Yeah. Um, yeah, not for me, but uh, yeah. Definitely, <laughs> uh, not, not at this point. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, for anything really... Like what? Well, that's a good point you make. If you're if you're in into watches or either other luxury items, now's the time to kind of get your your hands on it. Uh, at least now for the next month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, hell, I I'll probably even look at it just for the hell of it because I have some time uh, at home to do so. But yeah, it's I agree. Something to do. Yeah, I agree in that sense. I think uh, let's move on to motor vehicles or automobiles. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, as far as as we know for now, I don't think a bailout is going to happen in in the because a lot of people are comparing this period to the two thousand eight nine recession, which uh, yeah. it's not not as accurate right no. now. I mean, no, it's I mean, not the back same. Then it's not the same. And and back mm-hmm. then there was the U.S. government bailed out the automakers uh, at the tune of seventeen billion dollars. I don't think they've got that right now. I think right now the airline industry is tanking and they need to bail them out quickly. Um, yes. which is going to happen over the next month. Uh, they're going to get it first. Uh, cars, I don't think things are going to change immediately. I think if anything, if this prolongs, people are more likely going to buy a car than uh, risk taking public transit. And yep. if that's what they usually do, it's safer to just get your own vehicle. You can clean it. You can use it as is. Uh, there's always going to be people driving out spring. You have uh, the tires switching over. You've got um, there, there's potential now with with business at least at a reduced level. I mean, I, it's unfortunate you guys had to lay off some people, and I know that's the reality for a lot of people. But I think cars and the auto industry is going to stay afloat for now and take a wait and see approach uh, at least for the next few months. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, anyone comparing this to 2008, 2009. It doesn't, it, no, uh, we're not going to see the same thing uh, back then. I, I don't say back then sounds ridiculous, but even back then, especially in the States, I think there was a lot of excess. Um, they hadn't really trimmed the fat uh, of that industry. And so when they fell on tough times, it really became apparent. But what, if you look at even the domestic brands, right? And, and keep in mind that uh, Japanese automakers, Korean automakers, um, they have factories in North America. Like they, like Honda has a factory here in Alliston. Uh, they produce a Civics, uh, MDXs, uh, you know, uh, I think CRVs as well. Yeah, they, yeah. And those get sold all over North America. So if we look at domestic automakers, Ford, General Motors, uh, what's left of Chrysler, um, they have already shut down plants before this virus became a thing. They've already trimmed fat. Their uh, their product lines have been significantly reduced. Uh, we don't see them making any more cars, uh, passenger cars. They they may still have their halo pieces, like that Ford has still has the Mustang, uh, Chevy still has the Camaro and Corvette. 
but they've really trimmed the fat to focus on what people are buying so that they have less overhead. Like at the end of the day, even if you're sharing platforms with another company, you you're still paying for marketing R and D all the, all the things that go into making that car a Chevy, even if it was built on the platform of a Suzuki, for example, because we saw that just as a, as an example of two companies coming together that they've trimmed that fat. Now they have global vehicles. Um, they sell the same kind of vehicle all over the world. They're typically SUVs built on similar platforms, SUVs or, or, or light duty and heavy duty trucks. And so I don't think you're going to see anywhere close to the, like you're not going to see a bailout. I don't think it's going to be necessary in the same way that it was before. Um, the auto industry, it's already, it's already, modified itself uh for for global um rece- like they learned i think that they learned from uh from yeah 10 years definitely ago. yeah oh, and yeah. you know again people now more than ever yeah even though there's ride sharing and everything you're still using an, a car with an internal combustion engine uh in some cases electric whatever but personal transportation has never been more popular and i don't think you're going to see a reduction in that yeah, it'd be nice one day for us all to live like that uh, that small village in in the Giver, and everyone has a bicycle. Um, you know, no, that, that's no, that's utopian, right? Like it it won't happen, at least for the foreseeable future. Although I've already expressed my views on this, uh, you know, I hope in a hundred years, passenger cars are are like only make up ten percent of of the uh, the uh, the vehicles. I think that the future of transportation is is stable two wheel uh safe stable two wheel transportation that's really all you need a bicycle is and again i've i've gotten flack for this before but a bicycle is one of the most incredible inventions of all time uh it's just compact it's efficient it's its efficiency is is insane um and i think that that would be the future of personal transportation but we just have to find a way to make it safe and reliable and uh and anyway I'm well, going off I mean, on a futuristic uh, that, that's, tangent. That's a, that's a nice fairy tale, Anthony. But what happens <laughs> if it rains? Well, again, it's not going to be like what you think of a motorcycle today. If you want, here, I'll, exp- I'll, I'll express to you my views. Uh, I think that what what the future of transportation will look like. Toyota came out with something kind of similar. It's going to be like a pod, a pod that has. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, I yeah. saw that at the auto show a few years ago. And it, it they, has they, to be. Well, I hated that demonstration because they had a little boy driving it, which is fucking illegal. But whatever. Well, yeah, exactly. It has to be able to self-stabilize, which Honda motorcycles already can do. Uh, their concept bikes. Um, it has to be able to be safe. Like you, you, you have to have a pod where if you are in a collision with something, that that it protects you. And I think that you know that that shape is is already a strong shape. You just have to find a way for the occupant to get out of the vehicle in a collision, which. A pod isn't exactly the best thing to get out of, right? It's almost like a coffin. No, you uh, be, be crushed alive. Yeah. So, anyway, that's that's just my take on the future of transportation, far removed from what's happening right now. But what I'm trying to say is, the automotive industry, uh, there's a lot of money invested in keeping this thing going. We're not seeing anywhere close to what we saw in 2008 uh, and 2009. And uh, you know, whatever is happening, believe me, they have contingency plans for all of this. Uh, I'm not worried being in the automotive industry. I'll have to adapt. I'm, I'm at a great place in my life right now where should something happen, should I be laid off for whatever reason, I'll be able to adapt and modify and, and, you know, part having this podcast and, and meeting people in the industry is how I, how I keep myself propped up. And, you know, that's my contingency, meet as many people as you can network as best as you can. And, uh, and you'll be okay. Should anything arise. But, um, 
I'm not worried at all about the automotive industry. I'll say that again. Um, it's just, this is a global recession. We're going to see a slump in everything. The yeah, people. I'll, I'll, yeah. Sorry. Go I, ahead. I was just going to say, this is, I, I, I choose to look at this as a time of opportunity. It's a time to make savvy in, uh, investments uh, in, in things, whatever it be, choose something, you know, a lot about and you know put a reasonable amount of money aside into it obviously don't don't put yourself in any kind of economic uh danger but you know that that's what i see this time as just follow markets you know a lot about and make an informed and and an appropriate decision as to what to do um if you have money liquid to do that if you don't don't do anything sit on your savings and ride it out yeah, I right. was actually literally going to comment. Uh, now is a great time, especially for people our age, to get into mm -hmm. investing. And when I mean investing, I don't mean the under 30-year-olds who are real estate agents slash investors mm -hmm. who don't have the money to own various properties. You're not an investor. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry, just had to put that out there for, for anyone listening. Uh, but um, we, we do we see a lot of that on social media. That's why people are trying yeah. to show their best life and that, you know, oh, I'm, a real, I'm a real estate agent or... I, uh, I'm investing and I'm making 18% on my investment or something ridiculous. Like, you know, it's, yeah. Like, I, uh, I, you know, I, those who shall not be named, they're peddling their, uh, mm -hmm. Oh, this is a great time to buy uh real estate and property. It is, but I don't have 1.6 million sitting exactly under, under, under my ass. Yeah. Um, but for those that do want to get into stocks, this is a good time because they're at a little bit of a discount. Mm -hmm. Now there's two things to, to remember. One, you shouldn't be jumping in, as you mentioned, if you don't have the money for it. If you're going to invest in stocks uh, with money that you could use for like necessities like food and shelter, uh, don't do it. Yeah, it's not it's not very wise. If you have like, you know, uh, if you have money, I don't have any more money to invest because I had you know whatever was left in my TFSA is was invested in one stock and I don't have anything else. I'd mm -hmm. love to invest in more, but I just don't have it right now. So that was the only money allocated. You have to be smart with it. One really good book that I like, it's a little bit dense to read, but it's it's well worth it. It's a long book. It's called The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Uh, it's was written in the 1930s, but still applies now. And it's really good in tips on how to really invest smartly in, mm -hmm. in the stock exchange. So that's one thing I can recommend. Um, but just look at the markets and don't don't jump into things. And then a lot of people, a lot of things that people don't know is that if you want to buy an American stock, it's in American dollars. So whatever discount, for example, in Apple last week, it was 25% lower than usual. With the way the uh, Canadian dollar tanked, it pretty much evened out and you weren't going to get any discount exactly. anyway. Yeah. So like, just keep that in mind and don't just think stupidly like all these people that get stuck in pyramid schemes, which I also I also see. Like, Just do your, your homework. You have time now at home. Start reading. Read a book. Be cultured. Um, make a contribution to the world for once in your life. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I love how when you make a point, there's like this underlying sass, this underlying, like, I, just, <laughs> behind I love it. attacking people, man. I'm gonna I know, use this I know, platform to do so. I know, uh, I, I, but no, hey, but that's but fine. It, it is a, it is a good, but you have to be educated in whatever you do. You can't, because you, you could risk your family's well being in your future mm -hmm. for something that you don't know. Uh, you have to be 100% informed on anything that you do, whether it's, um, what happens on the news with coronavirus, whether it's investments, whether it's just things in general, you have to know what you're doing before you jump in. Yeah, I know that that's, that's a, that's this a no is tough love advice. So, Hey, you know, of course the, um, I think what people 
our, in our age demographic, uh, in their mid twenties, who probably started investing in the in the mid twenty teens, right? Um, when when because like you and I, like I I've had I've been investing in in mutual funds again since you know probably about 2014, 2015. and I think a lot of people our age are going to be in that bubble where they started having savings and and were told either by their by their bank rep or by friends or by family, hey, you, you know, you're actually losing money because inflation uh, and everything, you can't just have it sit. Putting it in a savings account of the bank is like putting it in your mattress. You have to put the money to work while it's sitting. A lot of people took up that advice and a lot of those people uh, like you and I, now that our investments have taken a hit and they're we've lost some of our principal, we're not going to be investing the only people who really stand to benefit on an investment side, in my opinion, are people who haven't invested before. And now, you know, they've, they've been waiting for some kind of collapse and now they're going to, now they're going to try to get things at a discount or people who just have tons of money regardless and, and are now deciding to hedge their bets on, on things that they think, uh, uh, what they, whenever the bottom, whenever they, they believe the bottom, uh, hits that's where they're gonna they're gonna start buying up yeah but, and i mean like there's there's some industries like oh look at the trans mm-hmm. the hospitality industry and and, and airlines and, tra- and look how low they've gotten mm-hmm. yes it's true but have they ever been high you have to you have to actually look at what they were before in when they were still when we were still in a bull market which was up to two weeks ago you got to take a look at what the history was then and they're always going to be volatile but just make an educated guess into what it is and i mean i don't use like uh, brokers myself. I do everything myself and I do my own research and invest in my own. That's the best uh, thing to do in my opinion. And, yeah. and, and I say that doing the opposite. I, I trusted a financial advisor. I still do trust him. You can Just still be, do that. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, but, but the, one of the, de- one of the downsides is, and this is just like a personal, a personal story. You know, I, for the last few years I've been telling people, you know, there has to be a correction in the market. And I knew this was going to happen. I just didn't know when, and I obviously didn't know it was going to happen because of a virus. Um, but even, even going into 2020, I thought I should probably just pull everything out. I keep telling people that a correction is coming. Why would I leave my money invested? Uh, and I, it was laziness. And the fact that I had to go through someone else to get that money out, not know, not having the skill set to just remove my money, um, kind of put me at a, at a, at a loss. Like I didn't know how to remove my money from the markets. If you are in full and complete control, at least you uh, should, because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, the, the chances of you winning and losing are still the same, but at least you can blame yourself. I feel like because I didn't have the control, I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do. And I didn't, I was lazy. I didn't take the effort to find out how to do what I wanted to do. And so I lost. Uh, but that again, Am I really that upset about it? No, but it's just an example of one of the benefits of investing on your own. You're yeah. following things. One of the the downsides is that you have to follow things. So uh, yeah, you know. it's it's difficult if you um like if you're at your desk, if you work in an office job, yeah, you can have a your your other screen. If you have two computers, you can have it on the stocks. So you have to watch it all the yeah. time. Oh, I you see mechanics also, in my shop doing that. Right? They yeah, have like yeah, they have their they bring their laptops. The feature, in. and I, I don't know what bank you have, but most banks have that feature where you set a price. Uh, at a low price and when it hits it locks it in for the day mm-hmm. so you can have that as well that that's a good strategy but I know that a lot of uh, a lot of shares in, in energy sector and energy companies have gone significantly down I know yes. that because I've invested in them personally um, mm-hmm. and I've lost quite a bit of money there but it's energy they're gonna go back eventually so of that's course. why I'm still hanging on for that and uh, you know it's quite a loss but the thing is 
it'll be back eventually. Once the economy has to turn up again, all those are going to go up. The oil companies, the Suncors, the uh, um, Nutrien, anything, you know, oil and gas is going to go up eventually. And prices will adjust. Now it's a great, it's great because the Arabs and the and the Saudis and the uh, and the Russians decided to have a price war in the middle of a pandemic, which is why we <laughs> yeah. see, why which is why we're seeing the gas go up, but uh, go down so significantly. But eventually it'll be back hovering around a dollar a liter mm-hmm. uh, in the next couple months. So mm-hmm. it will correct. This is this is yeah. not. It will correct back to the norm. This is not the norm. Um, well, it's a great time to to go out and fill up your tank to full. Which, if you weren't doing that already, I mean, whatever. Um, yeah, you know, it's get a couple this, jerry. Now is a good time to invest in some jerry cans and just uh, fill them up. Yeah, if you don't care about the fuel you put in your car, sure. <laughs> but uh, I don't recommend unless you're putting that into a lawnmower. I don't recommend storing gas in a jerry can. <laughs> it's a it, it it's just not like you, that's that's old gas. You granted, you know, it was sitting in many things before it got into your car. But at the Believe same me, time, it won't, make, sitting... it won't make a difference. Okay. Again, I, I, I have carbureted uh, things. And for me, I, I am a little bit more particular about the ga- the fuel yeah. I put in. Um, Look, if you just want to go from point A to point B, you'll get there. Exactly. Which is the regular person. But uh, this is a podcast about cars, Joe. So fuck you. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> actually, speaking of, uh, speaking of cars. So actually, yeah. so originally when we were discussing going on the podcast uh, back in February before mm-hmm. everything happened, Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna. We were gonna bring up. Uh, I was gonna bring up the Japanese versus Korean cars because yeah. I did watch the movie Parasite. Um, ah, I have not yet. My parents uh, watched it. They really. I think they liked it. I heard my dad laughing. So, must be, uh, yeah, that must be a good sign. <laughs> well, I mean, you can laugh at, uh, and it can still be pretty shitty. But yeah, uh, it, it was an amazing movie. And if it, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. And it kind of got me thinking of of the different of of the way societies are built in in Asia. And I thought of really South Korea, uh, well, obviously where the movie takes place and the revolution that they're having over the last couple of years technologically. Yes, the the family in the in the movie is on the poorer side. But after doing some research, I've realized that there is a subset of that kind of lower class group there. However, most people in Korea are, even the poor, are pretty technologically advanced and um, a lot of them are well off and... Uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit about how you know South Korea is now what Japan was in the 1970s and 80s, being technological hubs, um, mm-hmm. you know, really so really become booming. Um, and I'll use the example of uh, of Samsung becoming such a major technological power in the world, like you know, number one f- share in the market for phones. They build pretty much everything. The microchips, they're the first ones with 5G, which is going to change everything that we do from from internet to vehicles over the next couple of years. And it reminds me a lot of what Sony was in the early 1980s, becoming the biggest technology company in the world. You know, the, the Sony Walkman, uh, the TVs, the different electronics that they did really changed the world and really brought Japan and boomed their economy to number two, number three in the world behind the US. As did and, Seiko, as did Toyota. Honda, yeah, right. Yeah, Toyota yeah. and Honda, and I was just going to get to to that. Um, you know, the car makers. That was the boom in the '70s and '80s when they really took over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Honda, Toyota in particular. Uh, Toyota in particular. I'll comment on them just because they have, like, their process system in their factories was has been studied and is still studied by many operations management and supply chain people. Uh, the way they are able to produce cars is was revolutionary. Uh, changed really the automotive game. The way they were doing Honda as well, 
Um, and now South Korea with their automakers, it reminds me a little bit of what, what Honda and Toyota were back in the 80s with Hyundai. I mean, the Hyundai group with Kia, Hyundai, and Genesis now becoming, over the last year, Canada's most popular car, Hyundai in particular. And I want to get your opinion on, on why this is, has become the only car brand in Canada that has increased month over month, every month for the last almost 18 months straight. They have not had a low period. They've seen consecutive growth for almost two years straight. And that's pretty remarkable. The only car maker in Canada to do so. And, you know, they've been around for, what, 20, 25 years. Uh, Kia has. Hyundai's been around for longer. But I want to get your opinion on why that is. And um, I'll talk uh, before I finish my before I get to you on that point. Just want to finish the point with Japan. Before the COVID nineteen virus, there they were entering recession for the first time in, in decades because of there were a couple factors. One was their currency devaluing the currency and inflation rate. Uh, these are just macro macroeconomic issues that are a little complicated even for me to describe. But a lot of it had to do with the saturation. Of their market, uh, of of just their their economy. If you look at on a logarithmic curve on a on a graph, you'd see rising, you'd see it rise, and then it would hit a tipping point, and then sta saturate, stabilize, and then decline. They're hitting the decline stage now. Uh, Japan is because Samsung, Korean companies, and Chinese companies are outbidding them and outdoing them in their own game. There's only so much they were able to do. They did so much for so many years. But it's been a while since they've had some kind of technical revolution, whereas South Korea and China are with Huawei and Samsung are not just in cellular phones, but in everything. They are really uh, defeating them. And even in car sales, uh, you see the Korean car sales over globally, not just in Canada, increasing year over year. And we it's a common fact that an economy grows and booms because in part, large part due to that country's automakers. It happened yes. with Italy in the yes. 1960s with Fiat becoming a global uh, brand. Honda and Toyota, we know that's what kickstarted Japan's rise. Same thing with the United States in the early 20th century. And now we're seeing that with South Korea. So my question is, what are your thoughts on South Korean vehicles versus Japanese vehicles? And why are they so popular here? That is a loaded question. Um, well, first, let's talk about uh, the one of, one of your first points that we've seen uh, kind of unprecedented growth with Hyundai, at least in Canada. And a very simple comment on that, um, Hyundai's market share was so little before that they really had nowhere but up to go. In saying that, they have refined their product quite a bit. So if we think back to, let's use it, the 10-year mark. 10 years ago, what kind of vehicles were coming out of Hyundai and Kia compared to Honda and Toyota? Uh, not known for reliability, not known for aesthetics, not known for consumer satisfaction, um, not really having a design language or any of the, uh, any of the attributes you would, you would, that you would attach to a, not a premium brand, but a... Uh, a successful brand, a reliable brand, something people would buy into long term, not just for leasing and financing, you know, for the short term. I think what you ended up seeing was Hyundai twofold uh, over the last 10 years. Number one, release products that were actually attractive um, with with the advent of, uh, by um, producing a lot of turbocharged engines. They were able to match fuel economy and, and actually better fuel economy of their import competitors and domestic competitors 
Hyundai was was putting two two liter turbos and 1.6 I think 1.6 liter turbos in cars while the domestics were still pumping out V6s as as their uh, as their uh, fuel econ- uh, f- fuel economy engines uh, and while the uh, the Japanese were still like Honda Toyota super late to the turbocharged game uh, in the North American market so you had Hyundai come out with an attractive car. And they also had very aggressive uh, lease and finance rates, which made these cars incredibly affordable. So kind of similar to what Honda and Toyota did back in the day in the 70s and 80s by making incredibly affordable uh, and simple, reliable cars, right? People, when it comes to to those vehicles, the people buying Hyundais are the same people who 10 years ago would have bought, or sorry, uh, 30 years ago would have bought Hondas and Toyotas. They're not looking for a statement piece. Right, they're not they're not looking for something that that uh, that will make people admire them. They're looking for a cost effective, reliable mode of transportation. Hyundai did that, uh, and and you know they offered something different than what their import competitors did at the time. So when we talk about their growth, um, it, it still ties back to the moves they made ten years ago by implementing these new engines, by implementing these these new uh, corporate designs. Uh, and by making themselves a brand, a brand for Canadians, right in their marketing, they if you look at their marketing now, it's it's on the same level as Honda and Toyota, where they they have a Canadian market share and they use that to their advantage, right? I see Hyundai commercials all the time, Kia commercials all the time, where it's like they're driving through Canadian wilderness or or uh, they're loading up the car with the kids and the dog and going to soccer. It, it just the, the 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 kind of North American values. All of that ties into the increase we've seen in their market share. Uh, sorry, that I think that that tackles maybe the first question of why we've seen them grow. They they had they had nowhere to well, go. But I, uh, I'm gonna comment that they do a, a really good job in, in marketing. They've done mm-hmm. so well, uh, both Kia and Hyundai, uh, and Hyundai in particular. They've they've their strategy the last couple of years has been nature. Yes. So the way they've designed some of their vehicles, they kind of use the the biomimetry mm-hmm. uh, kind of designs where they kind of look like things in nature they look like leaves they look like plants. I was just gonna say yeah that kind of sweeping design but it has a, a it has it has a spine center point in a lot of their body lines and a lot of their lights their front grills front rear fascias it's kind of sweeping curvature but it has a spine through the center and and that's something I think that they even um, a design language that they kind of first released on the Genesis uh, coupe which is a car that most enthusiasts know very well in fact the first car I learned how to drive manual on um, yeah, I, I heard your last. Uh, yeah, your story so, on the last episode. episode exactly. Four part two. Yeah. So, uh, yes, that, that that like this Hyundai has had this in play for a while, um, and uh, and rightfully so. I mean, they make a good vehicle. Would I buy it over a Honda? No, but that's because that's my personal preference. Objectively speaking, does a Hyundai uh, Elantra offer really the same feel and usability as a Honda Civic? Yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah. Um, it really, it's just the subjective, uh, points where, where there's going to be differentiation, but objectively speaking, they're both reliable economy cars that offer a lot of the same features. So you, you can't really fault Hyundai there. Uh, and yeah. recently I've noticed Hyundai making, because now they have some cash flow, making a push for motorsport. So at the international, uh, the Canadian international auto show this year, Hyundai had a big presentation about their, um, more recent endeavors in motorsport. Uh, obviously, uh, the, to the consumer market, they've released the Veloster N, which is like a Civic SI between SI and Type R. It's more, I think it's more powerful and more, uh, 
capable than a Civic Si, but it still slots under the Type R. Uh, again, both in capability and in price range. Uh, and that's any time a manufacturer does that uh, where they release a sporty vehicle like that, it means that they have cash flow and it means that they're looking to put uh, money into into competing with other manufacturers to show it's, it's almost like R&D. Uh, and, um, and and they're making a push for that in their marketing as well to, to let people know, hey, we, we get out there, we race too, we appreciate the track just as much as anyone and it, it will trickle down into our street cars. Um, yeah. so and Genesis kinda... as well. Uh, 2022 oh, yeah. is going to be a big year for Genesis because mm-hmm. they're going to release a new sport coupe and two mm-hmm. crossover models under the Genesis badge. So that will be interesting to see how those look. What they have to defeat is the same thing that Honda and Toyota had to defeat. Honda a little bit a while ago had to defeat the idea that all they made was small, um, you know, dinky little cars. Toyota had to defeat. Uh, the idea, the stereotype that they had, they only made boring cars. Hyundai has to defeat the idea that they only make shit cars. <laughs> so you well, can see... Not shit, but, but plain vehicles. Like there's nothing really uh, too no, special. When, about... when Hyundai first came to the market in, uh, what was it, like the, the 90s, I think? They, like they were not known as being reliable. They were known as, as just being, you know, not sophisticated, very... Uh, very cheap, but the reason being is that they were just completely undesirable. Whereas Honda and Toyota, I don't think ever really had that problem. People always identified them as being very reliable uh, and and very inexpensive to own. But but I mean, again, as a car, they people always had faith in the brand. I think Hyundai lacked the faith aspect of it. Um, but with new technologies and and more money, they're able to refine their brand uh, for, for in in the ways that people care about. Really care. They're about. using s- similar blueprints as the Japanese vehicles, uh, yes. and that includes also we didn't mention Mazda as well. But I think they're also copying their kind of blueprints, but perfecting it with their own kind of tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the more advanced they get, th- there's a risk that the that they could overtake the traditional Japanese powers in the next 100%. coming years. I think that uh, I don't know if Honda and Toyota have anything to worry about, but I think Mazda has a lot to worry about. Uh, the fact that a Hyundai's market share growing takes away a lot from Mazda. Um, it takes away from Honda and Toyota as well. But Honda and Toyota are so big uh, and involved in so many in so many things that I just don't see them uh, being uh, on the cusp of of um, a failure the same way that that Mazda is. Uh, Mazda is a niche brand. Uh, yes, they have uh, supporters, they have fans, but um, you know, I just and they're they're incredible. The stuff they develop, you know, uh, I, their, their new engine technology and everything makes you think that the brand um, has a future. But uh, I think that they're going to fail in marketing and competing with uh, with these larger brands out there. Um, so it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out we may see dramatic changes to these brands similar to what we saw with the domestics uh where you know you had companies like um like Ford uh, and General Motors canceling uh you know decade old sorry decades old uh nameplates um and and just refining their product to be something that they know they can sell effectively we may see something similar happen um, to the to the Japanese automakers where they start cutting down on their models or finding a way to retool uh, platforms to be, you know, like uh, basically platform sharing. Honda and Toyota, I think, are already pretty good at that. Uh, Honda really only has like three or four different engine types um, and, and with investments in electric and, and fuel cell and all these other things. Like they, they are, again, back to what we were saying before, there are contingency plans for this. So 
it's going to be interesting to watch, but I don't think we're going to see any any catastrophic collapse. Yeah, like and, and I like that Honda and specifically made the CRV bigger or mm-hmm. progressively over the, the, the last few years has become a bigger and yeah. bigger vehicle. Uh, that could be slight adjustments. So I think mm-hmm. they're okay in the sense that they can make a few slight adjustments, and I think they'll be fine. But I agree, Mazda is really falling off, uh, and Nissan not so much. But they, uh, I mean, Nissan has its niche and it's it's still pretty big. As well, but I mean that's something. That's another brand that could be, you know, the South Koreans could eat into, mm-hmm. definitely. From but I from think the North just Americans' Toyota, perspective, yeah, for and sure. Toyota and, and and Honda have scalability as their asset because mm-hmm. they produce so many different things, and also they have diversified products like uh, Honda with motorcycles, right? So they'll be mm-hmm. they'll be fine. But um, Nissan and Mazda uh, are are a, li- a little bit more under threat from the Hyundai Motor Group. I would say Nissan, Mazda, Subaru. Um, Again, there yeah. I I would classify uh, Mazda and Subaru already as niche automakers. Uh, they don't have nearly the market share, and they make great products. So they have they have a secure uh, base, but you the 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 fanboys won't keep the company from collapse. You need to attract new buyers, and new buyers yeah. <laughs> I feel are flocking to Hyundai because of the cost-effective nature of uh, and and the aesthetics of their models um the subaru drifters cannot keep the company afloat yes in fact i think they're doing damage uh, to the reputation of the company yes they're reliable but look at what um you know the mod the modding scene did to the reputation of honda civics uh it didn't stop people from buying them but the common collective is that you when you see you know untastefully modified cars it kind of makes this collective conscience of like, oh God, you know, civic owner, right? And that's wrong. That's 100% wrong. Uh, but I think that people do pick up on that and it's unfortunate, uh, but you have to you have to remember, car companies have no control over that. If you make a really reliable product, people are bound to use and abuse that product. Um, but it, it all plays into to how- Yeah, I, I remember the scene, like they have the- they have like the the VTEC decals on their uh, on their Honda vehicles, and then meanwhile, it's just supposed to be like, you know, the, the engineers are like, wow, this is a really good piece of machinery. And meanwhile, yeah. it's a whole different perception because it's just like that that douchebag, you know, you know what I mean. I feel bad for the engineers, but yeah, that's yeah, it, it, that's that's the way that the auto industry, I think, is always going to be, um, and and you know that that's just you one have, of the really like, same thing with, and, with Dodge and Mopar. I mean, like, yeah, you know, there's always going to be those Mopar people. That we know, I, I, you know some, and I know some. So. Mopar is definitely less subtle, uh, yeah. in the way that like like VTEC, you know, was meant to uh, to it was it was a you know a variable valve timing is really all it is, was a was like a triumph for engineers. They were able to offer both fuel economy and power in a in a in a predictable manner uh, when you needed it, and then because of the the way that the consumer felt that physically it it became a cult you know thing of like oh vtech kicks in i have more power i the car gets louder i feel the surge of of energy of torque um it's it was it was less subtle made it was, sorry it was made less subtle by people modifying the cars whereas from the factory mopar vehicles uh you know dodge uh and ram vehicles come out of the factory already very not subtle <laughs> so yeah, uh, they, they, yeah, they were engineered to be not subtle they uh uh dodge releases a v8 to be a V8. They don't. They don't release a, a fuel economy, uh, a, a, an economically feasible uh, engine, and then 
that engine is not made less subtle by the <laughs> after so there's yeah. there's the difference but i mean there, there's a difference between guys in lab suit in lab yes. coats and, and engineers in the in the in the actual like uh r&d department versus mm-hmm. guys in the parking in the tim horns parking lot exactly yeah something very uh uh toronto or vaughn specific uh, but yeah, uh, one thing I want to touch on, cause, cause we're going on, uh, almost, uh, an hour and a half here. And before we uh, close out the show for today, Joe, I wanted to speak to you about, uh, sports and, um, obviously my own, li- in my own life, I, I, I follow sports, you know, like a, like a regular person, but not, not anything too in depth. Um, but for me, the biggest thing has been that formula one has been canceled for the foreseeable future. Um, every week they're canceling, uh, races further and further into the season. Recently, they just postponed the regulations for 20, uh, for the 2020, um, year it was supposed to be the final year of, of these regulations and 2021, a new set. Um, but now I think they're postponing that so that 2021 will take the place of the 2020 season and 2022 will will be the first year of the new regulations. That's what I've seen uh, the uh, the FIA post about. Um, what in your own uh, in your own life, you're a huge sports fan. What has been your biggest um, loss? Let's call it uh, with with the virus shutting down uh, everything. Yeah, so I actually was on a podcast last week um, talking about the soccer and specifically and, and the impact that the virus had on the game but also other things relating to the sport itself uh i'll comment on formula one i think they're they are going to come back but but i don't know if it's worth their time to do half a season Mm -hmm. uh because by by august they should be resuming they should be able to resume even with empty track and like empty stands they could just race around the track um but we'll see i don't think they can plays out it's the teams um the formula one's a traveling circus yeah, so that's right. Have, there's so many. Yeah, there's, and there's it, so many personnel. There's only yeah. so many members, uh, like the the people in the pits and, and the crew members. Uh, mm-hmm. That's it's a hassle to, all over across the the borders. Uh, yeah, it's it, the operation's too to large. Uh, yeah. it's too large and it, it's too global. Uh, it won't they won't resume until until we have a handle on this. So uh, that's why I think they're they're saying that about the 2020 season that that they're just gonna you know basically call it a void because they whatever whatever season remains by the time we we have um mitigation i think mitigation is the term they're using but but when the when the curve kind of flattens um there won't be much of a season left and even then does that affect the contracts of the drivers because there's quite a few notable drivers that their contract expires this year i would assume so um it's hard to say because we still know so little and everything we're saying right now, we're predicting the worst. But we, you know, they could they could still have half a season. We don't know. Um, but I would assume if the drivers aren't racing, that it would kind of just be a mulligan, uh, where they would just add an extra year onto their contract because they're not paying them right now. Um, so you know, they they have. It's not like they're they're paying an extra year. I don't think the drivers get paid. The teams don't get paid if they don't race. So I don't think the drivers get paid if they don't race. Uh, if that yeah, makes sense. Because I know. Well, not for a fact, but I know that Lewis Hamilton was going to go. He will be going to Ferrari as soon as his car contract expires. Oh, the, you, that that's a rumor, I'm assuming, because I don't think there's been any. It, it's a rumor, but it's pretty substantiated because uh, Lewis Hamilton has had dinner several times with the president of Ferrari. So, mm-hmm. And he's always stated um, that he wants to race for Ferrari. Toto Wolff, the manager of Mercedes, has also said that's a big thing that we have 
we know mm-hmm. and that we have contingencies for that. He's said it to the press. So I think it's just it's a formality. But whether it's going to be in 2021 or 2022, I think Lewis will go to the the Cavallino to to uh, Ferrari horse um, in English. The little horse, actually. <laughs> little um, horse. Um, uh, if, actually, if that happens, I the story I... Of, uh, of how Ferrari got their name or the, the the logo. I don't know if I said this in the last podcast. I know about it because I, I read about it in um, in the book about um, about Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, but you can go ahead and, and you, you can you can say it if uh, if you'd like. Yeah, like Enzo Ferrari, this was in the early 1920s or, or late 1910s. Uh, had was having tea with some friends of his, and he was just telling them about the the car company he wanted to, to start, his ideas of racing and 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 his vision for the company, but he didn't have a logo. So this conversation with his friend, um, or his friend and her, and her husband. Uh, she said she gave him a picture of the little horse, uh, and it was actually a part of the plane that this woman's brother had been shot down in World mm-hmm. War One, and that was the symbol he had on his on his plane. He was one of the aces of the, in the Italian Air Force, and he said, and she said, why don't you use this? It's, it was my brother's symbol, and it was a little horse, and Enzo really liked it, and then put it on. Uh, as use it as his logo, modified it with the red and yellow, and the rest is history. But that was just another. I think that story. I, for sure. I think the shield has something to do with the metal factory he lived. There was there was like a metal workshop because he. I think um, when he was a young boy, he worked as a metal fabricator, mm-hmm. um, and I think he actually lived above or he lived in close proximity to, like a what would essentially be a blacksmith, um, and I think that's where the shield comes from. So the horse on the shield. Um, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of retelling from what I read in the book, but I could, I could be wrong. But uh, yeah, that that's uh, it makes sense. I think that's that's yeah. how it was. Um, yeah. But uh, in terms of the other sports, so it's only been like a week, but if mm-hmm. it's felt like it's been years since. Well, uh, yeah, of course. How much happens long... in a week? Yeah. Um, and like you know, it's it's obviously sad. Uh, you know, there's I, I'm a big sports fan, so are many people. Um. We don't know at this point if there are going to be resuming, if they are going to be resuming the season at all, maybe by the summer. Like, so I'll start with soccer. So they canceled, postponed Euro 2020 to next year, which I was pretty disappointed in because I was really looking forward to that tournament. But obviously mm-hmm. you can't have, because the tournament is in 12 different cities across Europe, you can't have people traveling around. Of course. Uh, so it's just doesn't make sense to have it. So optimistically, the league's, We'll probably finish by the end of July and have the Champions League and Europa Leagues done and then start the new the off season in August and then start again maybe late August, early September. Um, for hockey, the NHL, NBA, so basically this all culminated with the NBA player Rudy Gobert getting ill or get testing positive rather and then having everything shut down. And it was interesting to see the North American reaction because nobody had ever seen really closed door games. We see it in soccer all the time, uh, not for pandemic reasons, but because of uh, racism and fan violence. They they lock the doors to, <laughs> to fans. So that's been pretty common throughout the years, but it's never happened here in in North America. And uh, I think those leagues will probably resume in the summer at some point, and we'll see if they just have a training camp and go right into the playoffs. It, it all depends on, on how the situation is mitigated. The situation in the United States may not allow this at all. If it gets worse enough, they may just have to cancel the season and then resume in the fall. 
which would be uh which would mean that Toronto Raptors re- retain their championship, but it also means we don't get any sports. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's still too too close, too early to call. Hopefully by later this spring we might have it resumed. But I just realized, like you know, I because I follow sports pretty uh, pretty religiously, like you know, listening to, to radio shows and go watching TSN and or Sportsnet and, and going online to websites. There's literally nothing to watch and no, no, literally nothing to read. And then I just realized, like wow, I, I've spent a lot of time reading, uh, learning about, you know, no, uh, keeping up on sports. And then I realized, wow, these guys who work for these sports companies, they really have like nothing else going on for them. Yeah. It's kind of scary. I, I, cause I, uh, for the last, uh, last about year or so, I, I drive in in the morning. I listen to, um, either the fan 590 or, or uh, 1050, which is TSN uh, radio. Um, and listening to it recently, it's, they're just, they're just talking about the effects of the virus, you know? There's yeah. nothing who's sick today and, uh, you know, what the lockout means, uh, what the shutdown means. It's there's only so much you could say yeah. because the leagues are just like waiting and seeing mm-hmm. um, the players are at home uh, just in their own private gyms training and working out. But other than yeah. that, that's it. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely. I mean, I hate to to go back to what we were saying before, but it's definitely just a weird time. And, um, and even with film, uh, yeah. a lot of movies have been pushed back. Yeah, James Bond, uh, has, James been, Bond. has been pushed back. That's the My, biggest the, one the for mo- me. The movie I was looking forward to, Fast and Furious Nine, has been pushed back to oh, next year. Of course, uh, that that was on my list, Joe. What am I going to do <laughs> without my my F nine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stop. No, uh, I can't stand uh, those movies yeah, anymore. So that's going to be. No, come on! It's entertaining because it, I'm, just... I'm not entertained. I don't even I don't even find them dumb like dumb entertainment anymore. <laughs> I just don't care. It's not you know. I just don't care to see them, and it just gets they just keep adding action stars, and I think it yeah, just dilutes. It's just defying physics. Who cares, man? I just want for a couple hours. I want my brain to just turn off. Yeah, that's true. That's true. At least it's a distraction. And now you've got John Cena versus Vin yeah. Diesel. Come on, I've been yeah. waiting for that for years. All these big guys, like physically large guys. Uh, but uh, with that, Joe, I think. Uh, what we should wrap up. Um, today's been a little bit of a weird podcast and uh, definitely not our usual format. And uh, I do apologize if uh, to our listeners if if it was a little bit rambling, a little bit long, but um, you have nothing better to do. So uh, I won't be too apologetic for that. <laughs> because Come on, man. Uh, this is for... going to be like, this is, a, this is a boon for your podcast. I mean, no one else has anything else to do. So that's right. And you know you what, Joe? I will say, so when, when we were planning this podcast, just so the viewers get a little bit of a behind-the-scenes uh, knowledge, I was very opposed to doing it over Skype, uh, but it was really my, my family members who said, no, don't have anyone come in. And it wasn't just because like, we thought you would bring us sickness, but I'm going, to, I'm going to work every day. So you know, if anything, I could be the carrier of this uh, disease. Uh, I, I hope I'm not. So I'm trying to limit my contact with as many people as possible. Um, well, so I understand just, because I suggested Skype in the first place. So yes, exactly. This was this was your suggestion. So what I what I do want to say is that now that I've kind of figured out the logistics of it, uh, we're going to see how this sounds. Hopefully, it sounds pretty good. Um, but this is, might definitely be a viable thing for the future, and it's a hell of a lot easier uh, to to work out uh, than than having someone come over, sit, and and locally record. Um, so I hope this comes out really good uh, to our listeners. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And Joe, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I definitely want to do this again. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, well, uh, I mean, what else? I've got nothing else to do. Well, I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> make... I do, but uh, I'm not leaving anywhere. So mm-hmm. all the gyms okay. are closed. I that that's one thing I really uh, miss is is going to the gym. Forget yeah. nightclubs and bars. Fuck that. I just want to get you know my reps in. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. I think a lot of people share that sentiment is the, you know, uh, for me, my gym closed, but I hadn't been to that gym in a, in a, in a few months because I'm just, you know, lazy. Um, but start running. This is why I keep telling people, if you have a bike, just go ride your bike, get some fresh air, just go and enjoy outside. People, I see people walking all the time, but yeah, like you said earlier in the podcast, walking is not enough. Just go out, do some, uh, do some activities outside. If you have a dog, walk it. If, if you don't, then just, you know, pull out your old bike, fix up the, the, the bicycle and just go for a, go for a bike ride. You know, this is the time. It's also spring. Like enjoy the well, spring. It, it was, I mean, it's still March. So it's, we have yeah, major swings. Bit... Like two days ago it was like 18 degrees and now it's like minus five. So I know that kind of sucks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, it, just... you know, maybe in a month or so, uh, yeah. in April, it'll be good. Exactly. Um, and on that note, uh, I guess, uh, fi- final comments, Joe, anything you want to say before we, uh, no, uh, just everybody, off? please be safe. Um, adhere to the, uh, social distance rules set up by the government. Please be aware of the sources you read online. Please check your sources and don't panic, but also don't take things too lightly either. Yeah. Find the balance. Uh, I think you said it perfectly. Find the balance. Uh, be be respectful uh, of this virus. Um, a week ago, it was very easy for me to to kind of brush it off. Uh, my my day to day didn't change, but uh, in my own workplace, uh, there's been a sense of we got to start stepping up, taking this seriously, and I think that that's common across the country. So, and one uh, thing, I'll, I'll just end off one last mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I know I'm a big sports fan, and usually we're used to, and there's a lot of sports fans out there. We're used to cheering for teams and athletes. Mm-hmm. The real teams and the real people you, we have to cheer for right now are the people on the front lines in hospitals, medical professionals, uh, healthcare workers. Those are the real heroes that we have to cheer for right now in this moment. Forget athletes, forget race car drivers, forget celebrities. Those are the heroes that we need to support more than ever. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Um, and if any of you on the front lines are listening, I recently met a gentleman who uh, who um, was, a, was a paramedic uh, at my last Red Bar. Uh, I know he was listening to a few of the podcasts. If you're listening and, and if you are still uh, active, I want to say thank you for, for your service. Um, and uh, and uh, to all members out there listening, uh, again, thank you for 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 your for doing what you do uh, and helping try to put a stop to this. Uh, and and hopefully anyone out there who's not uh, an essential personnel, if you're listening, do what you can and try to prevent the spread of this virus. And on that note, uh, we will see you guys shortly. I'm sure. Uh, once again, I'll thank Joe for coming on the podcast, and uh, we'll catch you guys as soon as possible. <laughs> Stay safe, everybody. Mm-hmm.